something I've come to terms with this year is that the changes that I want to see in the world are not going to happen in my lifetime. And I say that, you know, there's grief around that. And there's also a deep relief around that of like, that just is. And actually, if I can see myself as like trying to make change in the world as part of a larger trajectory, if I can see myself seeding new ways of being and showing up and working in the world, knowing that the entire world is not going to be transformed. I mean, you know, I'm 41 years old. I like, it's probably, I, I expect to live to be a hundred because like my, my genetics, my genetics have predispositioned me that I could live to be a hundred. I have a lot of women in my family who live to be a hundred, but even then there's a lot for, to see the world that I want to see, right. Which yeah. is a little bit of a rainbows, butterflies, unicorns world. You know, when I think about what I really want, like I, I really want a world where people are not so devoted to work that they've hung themselves out to dry in terms of mental, physical, emotional health. Welcome friends to the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast by Emotional Intelligence Magazine. Emotional Intelligence Magazine, or EIM Plus as it's known for short, is a one-stop resource for anyone looking to learn more about emotional intelligence. In addition to articles, videos, and recommended books to help you develop and expand your EI, EIM Plus offers a platform for EI coaches and specialists so that they can connect with individuals who are ready to take their life or business to the next level. Learn more by visiting ei-magazine.com. That's ei-magazine.com. Or follow us on Instagram at the underscore ei underscore magazine. You can find these links and more in today's show notes. I'm your host, Bernie Nicole. And today I have the pleasure to introduce you to Elizabeth Solomon. While my intent was to do a pretty intense bio um, introduction for Elizabeth, I feel like she kind of crushed it whenever she introduced herself. So I'm not going to parrot what she's already said, but I will say this. Elizabeth is one of those people, at least from my experience, that when you connect, it's like you've known that person your entire life. They just make you feel so comfortable and there's that connection on just a deep level. Not to mention anybody that will go on a tangent with me around the topic of EI, I am definitely very partial to, so <laughs> there's that. But in this conversation, we're going to talk about what is in store for the future of work and humanity in regards to emotional intelligence. And I can't think of a better person to have this conversation with than Elizabeth Solomon because she has her hands in so many things and is really just swimming in so much wisdom around EI and has applied this to her own life and just gets it on that deep level. I think you're thoroughly going to enjoy this episode. So I, won't, I don't want to hold you back anymore with my blabbering. So without further ado, here is the wonderful, wicked, awesome Elizabeth Solomon. That all the time. Totally. All the time. You're bringing me to like the, uh, something that I've been talking a lot about in the past week, which is, um, 
you know, emotional intelligence has been like so widely promoted in the organizational sphere, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. Right. And we think about it as like a tool of kind of quote unquote leadership in the conventional way. But I always tell clients, I'm like, you know, just where we show up one place is usually where we show up everywhere else. And there's different, there's differences to the extremity of that. You know what I mean? And we certainly do things in our partnerships that we would probably not do with our colleagues Uh around like, you know, losing control, but, um, but yeah, I always say, I'm like, it's just, yeah, is just life skills. It's just like life skills. It it's is. like, doesn't matter where you're using it. Right. Yeah. I, I was actually having a conversation with someone today and I was talking about a new program that I'm doing for mid-level managers. And they said, well, you need, you need to make sure that you're getting people that at least have a couple years of experience as a manager, because you want to make sure that they've had situations where they weren't able to resolve something or where blah, 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 blah. And as I'm hearing him (laughs) say this, I'm like, that's just life. You know, like if you've been alive for five years, you've dealt with something that you can talk about. Like a five-year-old can articulate a time when, right. Totally. And so, and so that's kind of what I want to talk about today in our conversation is this, just how EI is viewed, especially mm. in the corporate world mm-hmm. and why people tend to talk about it in the future tense. Like this is the skill of the future. This is the top skill for 2022. And it's like, no, this has been the skill since the dawn of humanity right. in order to just- be successful. But we're just like, just now realizing how important it is. Right. Yeah. So many, it's such a, that's such a great observation actually, um, that people usually talk about it as kind of EI is like what's emerging. Um, and I guess the first thing that came to mind is just, and for the sake of just to do a little level setting in the conversation and for the sake of our listeners, you know, I think there's this misconception that like to be emotionally intelligent is to be nice quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And I just Mm want to sort of myth bust that right off the bat and sort of say that what we're talking about when we're talking about emotional intelligence isn't a matter of whether we're kind or not, because that's all very subjective, but just this ability, as you were saying at the outset, to be aware of what we're feeling, to moderate those feelings in a Mm -hmm. way that is appropriate so that we can show up with empathy, exercise influence, that we're sort of aware of our surroundings, we're aware of the, the person or other people across from us. And I don't think like, none of this is new. Like this is, <laughs> yeah, none of this is new. And like, you know, I think if we look back at different cultures and religions throughout time, we mm-hmm. see that like, these are the same principles that people have been talking about for centuries and centuries and centuries. So why is it that we're talking about emotional intelligence? Like it's in a future sense. And I think maybe uh, what we're actually talking about subconsciously is not just emotional intelligence of individuals, because I think we can say that that's always mattered, right? That's sort mm-hmm. of like the premise of good, good relationship building. But the emotional intelligence of people with power, first and foremost, but also of systems, you know? And I was yeah. thinking about this. I was thinking, gosh, if we, if we were on the level of a system making choices that were based in an understanding of our surroundings, an understanding of our impact that were rooted in um, 
you know, different types of empathy, cognitive empathy, emotional mm-hmm. empathy. I don't know. Would we be facing a climate disaster? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Probably not. Right. Okay. So let's eat, pump the brakes just a little bit. Pump it. Pump yeah. it. Pump. We're going to do an introduction first. And this is why I love hitting the record button before technically it's supposed to start because there's so much good dialogue before <laughs> we actually are supposed to start. And I almost always, I think use that dialogue because it's just, it's too good not to put in. Yeah. But first I want to introduce you to our listeners. So I'm going to do a separate introduction for you, but in your own words, I would love for you, Elizabeth, to introduce yourself to our listeners in your own way. Who are you? What do you do? And just what got you into this space of EI? Yeah. Um, so in the most broad level, I'm a coach and a consultant, which I feel like is just the, you know, the term that someone says at a dinner party where you're like, that could mean anything. Um, so for me, what that means, I got tired is, of being in corporate. So I left yeah. my job and I'm a coach. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Could mean that. Um, so the interesting thing about me actually is that I have actually never worked in corporate. So this is something to kind of name right off the bat, but my entire, really my entire educational trajectory Um, I went to an undergrad institution called Hampshire College, liberal arts college in Western Massachusetts. And the way that they structure their program is they, you know, let you choose an area of interest and do something very similar to a master's level thesis and gather your team around you of faculty and professors and such. And what I did is I um, went into a public high school, a local public high school, and I interviewed teachers and administrators and students basically about the culture of the school and how they related to um, some of these policies and practices. So like, for example, when I was in high school, I hated that I had to ask for a hall pass to go to the bathroom. And it's such a small thing, but to me, it was really big. I was like, I don't get this. You're telling us that we're, you know, burgeoning adults and we're coming into our autonomy and you're building this culture of trust with us. But like, when it comes to like our basic bodily needs, we need to like ask you for this little piece of paper that says we're allowed to like get up and and go to the bathroom. Right. So I mentioned that because there's always been this sense for me of like, um, what do we say we value and what do we actually value within organizations? How does power flow? How are hierarchies constructed? And then how do people kind of assert their own agency, even within some of the most repressive and oppressive structures? Um, So that was my starting point. And I did a undergrad thesis on that, talking about how people find individual agency in systems that are kind of oppressive, as I said. And then I decided I was going to be a therapist and really wanted to spend all of my life collecting people's stories and listening to people's stories and ended up um, going to grad school to get my master's in family therapy, marriage and family therapy, and happened upon a program where I could also get a master's in organizational psychology at the same time. And upon going down that path, I realized I was like, oh, this is always what I've been interested in doing is actually collecting human stories in the context of systems and organizations. 
So that is very much what I do today. Um, sometimes that looks like doing work on organizational culture and helping organizations think through their values and the behaviors and programs that support those values. Um, it looks like working with leaders, both in organizations and entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and founders to help them really think not just about their own behavior and how they're showing up in their own issues, but kind of the, the systemic impact of that and, and the systems that they are creating both within the organizations and with, with their work um, in the world at large. So yeah, I do a lot of different things. I have. Yes, you do. <laughs> I, yes, do. You do. I, have, <laughs> I know. And it's sort of like, I'm like living the, the plight of the, you know, quote unquote, you know, people often refer to us as like multi-passionate, you know, the multi-passionate entrepreneur, but I don't know that it's, it's so multi-passionate all the time. And I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm like, well, like at the core of my work is looking at the interactions of humans and systems and using storytelling and psychology, um, as a way to sort of be more intentional about how we show up as individuals and about how we interact with and create the systems we're a part of. So very long-winded answer to your question, but. And you're a co-host of a podcast and you're a writer. <laughs> I am. Yeah. So I have been working pretty closely with Dan Goldman. Um, and that's the, I co-host his podcast, first person plural, emotional intelligence and beyond, um, which is amazing. By the way, if you guys are listening and haven't checked it out, the structure is so unique. I don't think I've ever heard a podcast structured the way you guys do it. Um, the fact that you can have three people co-host a podcast and bring on guests and do it in a way that's organized is mind blowing to me. Oh, I appreciate that feedback. I will say I've always wanted to do podcasting. And um, <clears throat> when this opportunity presented itself, it's been amazing. And like, it takes a whole team to do that. So I'll just give a little shout out because, you know, it's Dan and Hanuman and I that are co-hosting that, but um, we have Carrie and Bryant and Gabby and all the other people who support us in that, because it is a kind of complicated structure. So, yeah, so it's been about, I'd say almost six years since I met Dan. Um, and I met him around the time that he was launching a coaching program for emotional intelligence and really taking his work and an EI and figuring out how to turn it into a training and to sort of boost other people up with really, um, really aware of his model and to be able to take his model out into organizations and into the world and work with it more. And that was just really good timing. So um, I helped write portions of the curriculum for that training and also went through that training. And, you know, the, when I really dove deep into his model of emotional intelligence, it was just one of those moments where you come across something and you're like, this is everything I've been talking about. <laughs> or yeah, yep. it just someone... resonates. It's like, oh, finally it's in words and in a way that I can totally. articulate it and tell other people. Totally. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been a really, um, fortuitous and, and lovely journey to be working so closely with him and, and his model of EI. So are you ready to dive in and really dive get into the in. nitty gritty of EI? 
So I, I waited until literally today when you reached out to me with an email saying, Hey, so what are we talking about today? Um, because I just, I like to go with what feels right in the moment. If I plan too far ahead, I feel like I'm going to change it because something comes up and prompts me to say, Oh, can we talk about this? This happened recently. And that's what happened with us. Right. Um, a good friend of mine commented on a podcast I was on and talked about the importance of emotional intelligence, but I couldn't help but notice the quote that they had, had will, this will be, you know, the skill set for, for leaders of the future. Mm-hmm. And that's not a hit on them. Right. But I see that as a collective mindset of a lot of people in the corporate space. Like this is the skill set of the future. And it's not like you were saying, you know, before we technically were quote unquote recording this, um, this is something that's existed for thousands of years and that a lot of spiritual leaders that religion religions have been founded around, they got it like mm-hmm. love, compassion, understanding, self-awareness. This is all part of emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. but for some reason, when you put things like that into the corporate setting, they tend to get all type of like formal goopy, just like, I guess goopy is not even the right word. Like, cause it's a messy thing. Goopy is a good thing in a sense. <laughs> Let's get messy with it. They don't like messy in corporate. Mm-hmm. They want it mm-hmm. more rigid, structured terminology. Let's see the returns on this. And that's the thing that I, I'm not loving about how EI is being implemented, mm-hmm. so to speak, or discussed in that mm-hmm. setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, well, you're talking about a couple of things here. The first thing I hear is just a sense of like, you know, thinking about EI as a, as a skill of the future, right? When, when really it's the skill of right now, it's the skill mm-hmm. of what always has been, which beckons back a little bit to what we were talking about in the beginning. Um, but I think what you're hitting on is true. It's that we have built systems, all of our systems. So we've built our organizations, we've built our economy. Um, around a model of being in the world that tries to sort of mitigate complexity, ambiguity, human emotion, right? Which is complex and sometimes ambiguous. Yeah, (laughs) Um, 100%. At all costs. And so, you know, sometimes when I hear that future projection, what I hear in there is like, oh, it, it will be the skill of the future and we're not actually talking about that in an, in an individual sense. We're actually talking about that in a system sense. I hear that as like, it's going to take a little bit for us to actually mm, deeply transform our systems into ones that are emotionally intelligent, quote unquote. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, the other thing I think about a lot, and I think about this a lot because it's shows up a lot in my coaching clients and it shows up a lot in me, which I'm sure is why it shows up in my coaching clients. Right. I know we really kind of like attract the people that are, that are similarly struggling with some similar things. Um, but I do find for a lot of people, it can be really challenging to feel like they can move fluidly or gracefully between kind of the realm of structure, right of like, of goal, of focus, of kind of single stream thinking 
into that space of feeling, being, um, you know, some people would describe this as kind of the yin or the yang or the masculine feminine. Mm-hmm. There's lots of ways that um, particularly spiritual traditions have discussed this over time. Surrender is another it, word that comes to mind. Totally. And what's so interesting, yeah. you know, there's, I think I forget the exact subtitle of Dan's book, Emotional Intelligence is it says why it can matter more than IQ, right? Do you have it next to you? Yeah, why it can matter more than IQ. Okay. Oh, and you just cut out sound. Oh, sorry. Okay. I have my mute on. Look at all yeah. these tabs, by the way. Like, that's so good. See, that's how much wisdom there yeah. is in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and I find this really interesting because that has been interpreted, misinterpreted over the years for people saying emotional intelligence matters more than IQ. And actually like the word, and Dan's written about this some, um, especially in his LinkedIn newsletter in recent months, he's been doing some real myth busting around AI, but um, the operative word there is can, right? And so I'm always struck by this thing that we do as humans where we're just like black or white, yes or no, IQ or EQ. And it's like, the answer is always somewhere in the middle, right? That it's, yeah. that it's both. Yeah. Like we do need to be able to, put structure around things. We need to be able to execute. We need to be able to be singularly focused. We need to be able to be logical and pragmatic and all of those things really matter. But we also really need to be able to show up with our whole emotional state. And we need to be able to acknowledge the ways that our inner knowing is sourced from places other than spreadsheets. Um, Yeah. And to be with all that as well, both are important. And and I think what he meant by that, why it matters more is because, I mean, with your background in psychology, you know, whenever we are in that state where our nervous system is triggered, we can't rationally think. Mm -hmm. So it takes that emotional intelligence, that self-regulation ability to bring us to a level where we can utilize that rational problem solving part of our brain. Totally. I mean, and that's, and we know that, you know, we know that when under threat, when under stress, like our cognitive capacity declines dramatically, you know, some people describe that as being foggy. Some people, you know, there's lots of ways that people talk about that or narrate that experience, but yeah. And we can rationalize the irrational. We can try to make sense of things that are insensical and call it logic Right. It's totally. our logic. I know. We love, to do logic. <laughs> we love to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the other thing to mention just on, on a topic of like IQ or kind of like hard skills versus soft skills is it just is true that a lot of people get promoted in leadership because they were really good at the technical aspects of their job and they performed really well in a hard skill sense. And then they're in leadership and all of a sudden they have people that they need to attend to interact with, that they need to monitor the the development of people. They need to set the emotional tone in the room, right? And this is where um, all of a sudden the soft skills become so much more important. And I think that's a real hard place to be as a new leader, right? To be like, well, I got here because I was applauded for these skills, but all of a sudden, like, I'm not even doing my job anymore, right? I'm actually just leading people. And that's a whole other, whole other skill set. So let's talk about that. Let's elaborate on that a bit because this isn't new. We know this stuff. We've heard this over and over again. 
there's countless articles, there's countless data that shows that just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you would be a great manager over people that do that. Yet people are still being promoted into those positions. And it's kind of the same thing with like teaching people the importance and value of emotional intelligence. We see the data, we hear how important it is. We look at this past or these past two years as this podcast is being recorded and see how important mental health is. Why aren't we catching on to this, right? We're promoting people that shouldn't be in those positions. We are not implementing things that we know that we need to do that are important. What is the hesitation there? Why do we Mm -hmm. still question it? Let's take a pause for a second. I want to introduce something brand new that we're doing at Emotional Intelligence Magazine. It's called Convo Shop. If you are listening right now and you are a leader or a manager or an owner of your organization or company, this is going to be for you. So right now we're experiencing so many challenges in life and also in business, especially with employee engagement, accountability, well-being, retention, All of these challenges are a result of people problems that are related to a lack of emotional intelligence. And that is not a hit on anyone, but it's a skill. It's a skill that we're not taught. And so through Convo Shop, we are taking emotional intelligence to a new level. This is a program that, again, is meant for leaders, managers, or owners of businesses to help create and foster that accountability amongst your team members, to help foster engagement both intellectually and emotionally, and build a solid foundation for well-being and success. Right now, we are looking for people to participate in our beta cohort in September. This is at no cost to leaders. However, you do have to fill out an application. We're going to be very selective with this because we want people coming in that are going to actively participate and come into it with intention and purpose. If that sounds like you or it sounds like somebody that you know that could benefit from this and would be intentional as a participant, please go to our show notes for today or visit ei-magazine.com slash convoshop. That is C-O-N-V-O-S-H-O-P, ei-magazine.com slash convoshop to learn more. Now back to the show. Yeah. And I think it's a question, right? Are we not, are we promoting people who shouldn't be in those positions or are we promoting people into those positions and not offering them enough context or support to be able to succeed Mm -hmm. right in those soft skills? And I'm sure it's, you know, it's different in every situation. Um, Gosh, that is a really good question about why. And I think this is a question I'm asking myself all the time. And it gets back to, for me, to this piece of like, we have structures, (laughs) We have business structures, we have economic structures, we have social structures um, that are built around a high value for, uh, I mean, cap- money, right? So we have capitalism. So there's this whole thing around like monet- money is God, right? And ROI is God, right? And all of our institutions have been built upon this. Um, 
And I think sometimes with emotional intelligence or, you know, creating, like we know that organizations that are really strong in their people skills, where people have really strong relationships, they have a really strong sense of belonging, kind of all the things that emotional intelligence creates. We know that these organizations actually do better over the long term, but I think we are so plagued by short-term thinking in general in our culture, right? And so sometimes it's hard when there's not a translatable ROI to these things in the immediate to think about how do we transition to this other way of being and showing up in the world, right? So how do we leave space in a workday to actually connect with one another? How do I, as a leader, make sure that my workload um, leaves time and energy to be able to actually coach and mentor the people who are a part of my team, right? And so instead of just being in constant um, production mode, right? Of like, here's the project we're working on, here's the, here's the deadline. We're, we're very driven by these concretes um, that turn around very measurable and concrete results. Yeah. And I think it's really, um, behavior change takes time. It does, yeah. <laughs> so let me ask yeah. you this, cause you're talking about ROI and ROI is God and, money is God, you know, in, in the sense of the workplace, that's what they care about. It seems not saying that they, you know, I'm sure leadership cares about the people, but then you have board members and stakeholders and all these other people that are like, I want to see the money. Right. Um, so how do you have those conversations? Cause I'm, I'm sure some people listening are also coaches and they're struggling with how to present this to organizations because it is intangible. Mm -hmm. How do you sell something like that? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think there's two ways to do that. I mean, I think one is to work with a client to really understand like, what is the problem, right? Like what I'll just say it's person. It's it's totally actually fine for organizations to be like, actually, we are a productivity money-based organization. We actually don't really believe in emotional intelligence and care much about that. And like, that's a choice, you know, and that's totally fine. But I think if you have an organization or a leader who's coming to you and is saying, oh, my people problems are making it a lot harder. My, you know, my, my issues with sort of relating or there's something that I'm doing and I don't know what it is I'm doing, but it's not causing a good effect. And I'm sort of need another I need to develop some self-awareness around what this habit is. Um, I think, you know, part of the work of like uh, enrolling people in that is to help them just imagine, okay, if you could, if you did have that self-awareness, if you did understand that blind spot, if your relationships were more solid, what would be different, right? And letting the client really articulate that of things like, oh, work would be smoother. Oh, actually deadlines would probably be met better. Oh, if I really understood who my people were on my team and what motivated them, and if I really met them with empathy, all these other things might be able to happen. So again, I think first it's illuminating people to the sort of ripple effect of this work. Then I think there's just the statistics and there's like plenty of stats out there. You know, um, I spent a lot of time earlier in my career working with the Great Place to Work Institute. They um, evaluate organizations for Fortune Magazine's 100 Best Place to Work list. They have incredible data on, um, it doesn't necessarily look at emotional intelligence, but it looks at things like inclusion, 
a sense of belonging and how that relates to um, higher rates of innovation, right? Innovation is something, that word is something a lot of companies can latch onto because it appeals to the sort of competitive world that we live in, right? The more innovative, the more successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you can, you know, the goal of a, of a coach or a consultant is to make the bridge, right? Okay, so how do you create a culture of belonging? Well, emotional intelligence is how you do that, right? And so it might not be as simple as always looking to the data that directly supports quote unquote EI, but there's a lot of data that supports things um, like belonging, for example. Yeah. I just find it so unfortunate because I've had a number of conversations with leaders who care, leaders Mm -hmm. who want to bring this in, but they're not the ones signing the check. Mm-hmm. And so they say, well, <laughs> you got to show me some numbers. You got to show me, like, I believe in it. I know how important it is. I understand that if I can engage my employees, then that's going to boost the revenue for the company because they're going to be more productive and innovative and in all the things that you just mentioned. Right. It's bridging that gap. You know, how do they sell it to the person who is going to sign that check? who is looking at the PL. And uh, one of my colleagues said, you know, well, I always ask, where exactly on your PL do you keep track of unused human capacity? Yeah. Right. And it's like nobody keeps track of that. Nobody says, well, right. Joe being out uh, on extra sick days this year you know, was Joe was so burnt. Yeah. Because (laughs) Joe was so burnt out that Joe couldn't even come to work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or because there was a lack of trust or accountability, then a project was delayed or something fell through, somebody dropped the ball. And now that that's, that's going to cost the company from that one mistake alone, over $25,000 minimum. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You're making such a good point, right? Which is like, and this is where I think that's like, uh, this is where things become complex, right? Where if like organizations were really invested in tracking the cause and effect on that level, I think there would be, and I think, you know, one of the places where we do do this is like, we know that turnover, for example, has a really high cost, right? Um, And I know that's different for every organization, but Mm -hmm. it's high pretty much across the board. Um, and I feel like that's one data point that people are like, okay, we can grasp onto this. We actually don't want to lose people because we lose people and to fill their positions is costing us X amount of extra money per year. So there's all that, but I also think, um, you know, and maybe this is a little lofty or idealistic, right. But when I think about that leader in the organization, um, who's trying to influence the executive at the top to focus on emotional intelligence. Um, it makes me wonder what are other conversations that, that they can be having to understand, you know, and this, this talks about influence. Like I would be asking the question of like beyond money, right. Which is, again, always going to be a motivating force because we absolutely need money to survive and business is here to make a profit. Like that just is true, right? That's why we do business. Um, yeah. 
what else motivates that leader? What else motivates that executive, right? Are there conversations? Is there a way to just start to understand that executive? And again, I'm saying executive, assuming that this is the CEO we're talking right, about or someone. Right. Um, understand what drives them. Understand some of the intrinsic, some of their intrinsic motivations. And then to be able to speak to those when talking about implementing um, or seeding a more emotionally intelligent culture within the organization. Yeah. There's something else that I want to kind of talk about a little bit more that you hit on earlier in regards to quick fixes. Mm. We want to see immediate results. And, you know, when you talk about the money component with software, with a new sales procedure, whatever the case may be, you can almost see immediate results for that. Mm -hmm. The challenge with developing people skills is it could potentially get worse before it gets better because you have to reverse a lot of habits that were not serving the people or the organization, right? And so there's going to be some resistance there. There's going to be some setbacks because people are stuck in their habits. And I think that's another challenge is because when you tell someone, yeah, you're going to see results, but it could take six months to a year. Mm -hmm. Ideally, are they willing to be in it for the long haul? Because this isn't something that they can say, well, I want to bring you in for a workshop or even a boot camp, right? Right. Like there needs to be consistent follow through. And I think that's an extremely hard sell for people. Right. And in part, it's a hard sell for people because it means that the organization has to sort of reorganize or restructure itself enough to make time and space for that development to be happening. It needs to make time and Mm -hmm. space for that messiness. Yeah. Right. Um, And people tend to wait until it's super, super painful. And so now you're asking to put more stuff on someone's plate that already is burnt out and doesn't have the capacity. So your retention, if that's what you're aiming for, bringing someone in to develop EI, you could lose more people because they're like, I just don't have time for this. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to come to you saying what just happened. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. It's like, it's challenging to express that to people. Um, yeah, well, it, it raises an interesting, another observation. Um, I mean, first of all, I think what you're talking about is just the difference between being preventative and, you know, proactive versus reactive, right. Which is like another thing that I think we are just like struggling with on the level, like level of systems and culture. Um, you know, I think about it in terms of medicine a lot. I'm like, there's a lot of actually really amazing, you know, different healing modalities. Food is like, you know, <laughs> food and diet just, is a way to heal I was heal literally oneself. thinking that the whole time. I'm like, you know, yeah. this reminds me of when I'm eating junk food and I know I shouldn't be eating junk food because now my cholesterol is high. You know, I need to cut out the cheese and the charcuterie trays but it just tastes so good. And I'm not fat yet. So I'm just going to keep eating it until I get fat and miserable. And the doctor says, you've got to cut it out or you're dead. Right. (laughs) I mean, it's so funny as you say that. So like my question to you, as you say, that is like, 
oh, like if you're going to make that choice, how can you make it actually with a little bit more love and self-compassion, right? Because I also (laughs) just hear like the self-shaming in that, right? And I wonder like, what's the impact of that too? Yeah, yeah. You know? Right. Um, Yeah, so reactive, you know, proactive versus reactive culture for sure. Um, I'm just trying to tag back to what the second, the second part of So that. sorry. Now you're thinking about cheese and olives and tomato, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> but I was like, Ooh, I want some of those Castelvetrano olives. And well, yeah. while you're thinking about that, I'm going to go on Instacart right now and That's just order so a bunch good. of stuff. <laughs> so sorry. Take a moment. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, oh, I know what I was going to say. And I just want to, I just want to acknowledge, I actually like, you know, even with all of the overlapping tragedies and traumas that are happening in the world as we're recording this, right. Even with climate change, even with rising rates of child suicide, even with, um, so much gun violence across the country, even with the political division, even with, the like persistent refusal by some to like reckon with racism and Mm -hmm. systemic bias and in all forms, even with all of that, I am a person who is generally pretty hopeful. I wish everybody listening could see your facial expression when you said that. What was Generally pretty hopeful? Question mark. I know. Can I I say that? Well, I'm hopeful, I think in part because, and this gets to the long-term, short-term, because more and more over the years, I've tend to, I, I tend to think in long time. <laughs> so, it, you know, and there's a lot to say about that. Um, well, it's like you have to break down to build back, right? It's like the whole butterfly, the caterpillar turning into a butterfly, right? Every revolution, totally. Every major change starts with chaos. Yeah, it does. Every major change does start with chaos. Um, and I'll just say that like something I've come to terms with this year is that the changes that I want to see in the world are not going to happen in my lifetime. And I say that, you know, there's grief around that. And there's also a deep relief around that of like, that just is. And actually, if I can see myself as like trying to make change in the world as part of a larger trajectory, if I can see myself seeding new ways of being and showing up and working in the world, knowing that the entire world is not going to be trans. I mean, you know, I'm 41 years old. I like, it's probably, I I expect to live to be a hundred because like my my genetics, my genetics have predispositioned me that I could live to be a hundred. I have a lot of women in my family who live to be a hundred, but even then there's a lot, you know, there's a lot for, to see the world that I want to see. Right. Which is a little bit of a, you know, rainbows, butterflies, unicorns world, you know, when I think about what I really want, like I I really want a world where people are not so devoted to work that they've hung themselves out to dry in terms of mental, physical, emotional health. I want a world where we have time to actually be and sit with each other in meaningful conversation instead of always 
coming together around something that needs to get done or something, you know, something of productivity. Like I, I want more time and space for all of us in our days and in our lives to be able to really just be and be present. Um, and when I look around at kind of the hustle culture and when I look around at, you know, and, you know, people talk, people are talking more and more endlessly about this really, which is media and the sort of environment of immediate gratification that we're living in the impact that that has on our nervous system, right? Where all of us are kind of operating in this sense of immediacy, um, immediate reward. You know, we put ourselves out vulnerably on social media and immediately we get likes or dislikes or comment. Like we're constantly in this kind of like ping pong game that's moving really fast. Um, and I do not think that um, is good for us and nor do I think it's natural. And so, you know, when we talk about even like short-term thinking and long-term thinking, I think um, we are very, not only are we living in a world that's moving very fast where there's sort of this immediate, we're in this sense of immediacy around everything and immediate exchange. Um, but we don't really, We don't really take the long view on things in either direction, you know, and I, and I think yeah. about this in terms of like, one of the things that I've been studying a lot this year is um, systemic constellations, um, which I won't get go too deeply into, um, but it for another episode. Yeah, for another episode, but I will say it comes out of family constellations work and the idea of family constellations work is that, um, some of the things that we suffer, that we experience directly, particularly things that we circle the wagon on again and again and again, and we go to different modalities and, you know, we make a little bit of movement, but we're like, wow, this thing is just persistent, this issue, this belief system, whatever it is, yeah. um, that sometimes and often that has roots in our family system and is actually inherited trauma, right? And I love family systems work because it looks at ancestors and ancestry. And I think it extends the timeline out of that way of thinking immediately of it's just me and it's now and it's here to like picking your head up and looking at like what a large timeline <laughs> we are in, in terms of human evolution. Right. Um, yeah. And starting yeah. to understand ourselves um, as part of a lineage. And, and I think, you know, the same is true for organizations Many organizations, um, you know, in America, quarter to quarter, year end numbers and, versus long term. Yeah. Yeah. And like built on the back of oppression, built on the back of slavery. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, and I name that because like that lives in the system, right? This sense of like, I am going to produce, I am going to have, I am going to make money at all costs, including human costs, particularly human costs, that's been a pattern that like the American economy has been in for a really long time. So I think in many ways, why we talk about emotional intelligence being something of the future, right? Or emotionally intelligent organizations being in the future 
is because we're reckoning with a system that was built that, that has deep roots in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not even that far past. I mean, you know, slavery and was not that long ago and systemic racism is obviously alive and well and yeah, et cetera. But I, yeah, that I might've gone off on a bit of a tangent there. No, no. But- I, I like tangents. Um, I love going down rabbit holes. The only thing that doesn't like rabbit holes is time and the clock and <laughs> time constraints for podcast recordings, but I could go on rabbit hole tangents all day long. There are a couple things that you said. So I'm going to take it back to when you were talking about, you know, not being able to see the change that you wish to see in your lifetime, but realizing that you can make an impact in your lifetime. If all of us accepted that as the truth, and as you were saying that the first thing that came to mind was the story of the Mason building the cathedral. Mm. I don't know if you've heard that, but Mm. somebody said, you know, why are you so happy building this? You know, you'll never see it finished. And he said, but I know that for centuries and generations, people will be admiring the work that I helped produce. And if all of us could, oh, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about that. If all of us could see it that way. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, lifting our heads up. And I know you weren't maybe talking literally, but if we literally just stop looking at our phones and getting so swept away in the things that you were talking about, that instant gratification, that social media, which really are just all distractions. Mm-hmm. The fact that we binge watch Netflix and we consume hours of content on our phones, but yet we claim that we don't have time to pursue our passions just shows how lost we are within ourselves, not knowing what our passions are and wrapped up into what the system wants us to think is important. Yeah. That's not. Yeah. 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 And we've only got five minutes left. Wow. <laughs> Wait, I can, I can stay till 415. I'll just let you know that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, another thing, and again, I know I'm sort of floating all over the place here in I the conversation and I, okay. I hope it sort of our listeners can realize that this is all part of a conversation that's, around that's emotional role, intelligence. So okay, if, great. If, if they've been listening to more than one episode, they they're used yeah. to this. So yeah. <laughs> um, I have been thinking just about, um, I'm thinking a lot about trauma and grief lately because addiction which I would say we're all living in a culture of addiction, right? Whether that's addiction to our phones or addiction to substances or food or whatever we're Mm -hmm. addicted to. Addiction um, is a symptom of a larger issue, right? And so I think a lot about what is this culture of addiction and what is the larger issue? And it strikes me that um, in our sort of efforts to do, to produce, to achieve, we have really lost the value of intention and ritual. And so I think a lot about, for example, um, how, I mean, if you just think of the past two years, how much trauma there's been, right? 
And I think, you know, there's this like natural way we have to show up when there's like a pandemic, for example, where, you know, first you're in emergency mode and you're like, okay, all hands on deck. What do we all need to do to like figure toilet this out? Toilet paper. You know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> toilet paper. The kids at school. Let's beat each other up or, over toilet paper and, you know, whatever it is. Right. But then it's like, <laughs> yeah. there's so much, I mean, we are living and like, there's no way that you can be tuned into what's happening in the world and not feel grief. There is no way. And what do we do with that grief? Where do we put that grief? Right. When everything around us is like, no, 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 no. You don't have time to feel that grief. You got to keep going. Right. That grief transforms into mental health issues, suicide, addictions of all kinds, as we're saying, aggression, aggression, rage. I mean, Mm -hmm. rage to me, and this is like another thing that's pretty big for me this year because I've been noticing it in myself, which is being pretty rageful, um, about, you know, there's plenty to be rageful about. One of the things, um, that I think about when I'm coaching people and also when I'm facilitating constellations, systemic constellations, uh, is this idea of primary and secondary emotions, right? Secondary emotions are usually the things that loop for us. They're the things that are like coming up over and over, like I'm so mad. Oh, da, 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 da. Underneath that is the actual feeling. And for me, I've noticed that a lot of my rage is actually just grief. Yeah. And that I feel really, really mad and really mad, really mad. And when I can actually get honest with myself and give myself the space to touch into that space of grief, my entire body exhales. And even though it's grief and it's so sad, it's like so relieving. So I'm like, yeah. oh, that's honest. And I can mm-hmm. like feel in my body, the difference between a secondary emotion that has me on a hamster wheel and an honest primary emotion. Um, and they land really differently. And then for me, I'm like, oh, I can work with my grief anger. I'm not always sure what to do with, but I can work with my grief. Um, but yeah, that feels like a really big, it's been a big theme with my clients too, of just a lot of clients coming to me and saying, I did all the things I checked all the boxes. I, you know, got my MBA at Stanford. I like, you know, my whole life, like sought to achieve these goals And somewhere along the way, I stopped feeling my feelings and now my feelings have really been accumulating and like, I don't even know what to do with them. And actually I just need to cry. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, that's real, right? That's like the conundrum I think we're all in right now of like, yeah, a lot of people just need to cry. Yeah. I love crying. (laughs) Okay. Let me rephrase that. I love the after effects of having a good cry, that release. Um, And I have a good cry probably once every two months at this point, just because the more you take on, the more you build up and forget to release over, you know, smaller increments. And there was one day, maybe a week ago where I spent probably like nine hours of the day, just crying. I couldn't get much work done. Yeah. But before I would feel bad about that and I would get angry and have rage about crying because inside my head or my internal voice is telling me you need to suck it up. You need to like get over it. 
grow a pair, whatever, you know, that Mm -hmm. our society tells us. But I was like, no, I'm feeling these emotions because I have been working my butt off and I don't feel like I'm gaining the traction that I should. I'm feeling this for the same reason you are grief. Right. And I feel hopeless to be able to change things. I feel like I am screaming out loud and no one can hear me and I need this. And I'm just going to just let it happen knowing that tomorrow is going to be a good day because today I allowed myself to process this. Yeah. You know, that's such a beautiful example of that sort of conundrum we get in between short-term and long-term, right? Like, and you know, within the span of 48 hours in the short term, there's like six client meetings and three deadlines Mm -hmm. I need to meet. And in the long term, I know that if I can actually take a day and get honest with myself and allow myself to sort of process and purge some of these emotions, Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to be able to execute that work and all of those client relationships so much better. Right. Yeah. And so many people think like you're talking about the client calls, like I don't think I had, but maybe one or two calls that day and they weren't super important. So it was really easy for me to say, Hey, can we reschedule? But even if it's a client call, like you said, you're not going to be your best self. And if you're coaching people on how to be there for themselves and you can't be there for yourself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and model that for them to let them Mm -hmm. know, like, this is what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And I need to be there for you. And I know that I can't, Mm -hmm. can we reschedule? People are more open to that than you think. But again, that narrative says, well, what if they don't hire me again? What if they look at me like, oh, well, if you can't keep yourself together, how are you supposed to coach me through Mm -hmm. things like this? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think what, too, what you're talking about, and I think, you know, (laughs) this relates back to this conversation about uh, a leadership that wants to really, you know, build emotional intelligence is modeling. And I've, I too have similarly, I'm like, you know, if I want to talk to my clients about spaciousness, if I want to talk to my clients about leaving time to feel their grief, if I want to talk to my clients about meeting their direct reports with empathy, I have to set myself up to do all that too. Right. And I think, you know, some of what happens in an organization And again, I acknowledge that this is mostly because it's really hard to move out of the consciousness of feeling time-strapped is that you have some leaders who are like teachy-eyed all of my people, or yeah, I want these things across, you know, I I want spaciousness. I, I want meaningful connection, but have a really hard time modeling that because they actually need to make a structural change to how their workload is parsed out. You know, they need to make choices. Of, of what they're going to give up in order to welcome in the spaciousness that it takes to make that type of behavior change, to connect in that way with people. Right. And to be clear, I'm not saying it like takes like, you know, you have to sit with everyone for an hour with deep eye contact in order to, you know, have a connected experience. But I do look at it like a gear shift. I think being able to shift gears from high narrowly focused productivity, right? That focus we have when we're really just in a task to being in the relational space where anything can happen, anything can emerge. You don't know, you know, when you sit with someone and really ask them how they're doing, what they're going to say, you need to really be present. Yeah. Um, can we talk is, about, sorry. Shift. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Um, so in our 15 minutes left together, can we talk about the importance of intention and, mm. you know, cause you're talking about, um, people making time for other people. I've spoken with managers who say, you know, I want to be there for my people. So I have an open door policy. However, now that I have an open door policy, I don't feel like I have time for myself. And that's where you have to realize that there's a balance mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can be there for people. You can always also be there for yourself and telling someone, Hey, I have an open door policy, except on Mondays from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. because that's when I need to have time for myself. They think that that's going to go back on their open door policy. Right. And it's like, no, you can have both. It's like you were talking about yeah. the black, yeah. white, yin, yeah. yang. Like, no, you yeah. can integrate and merge those two things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. intention is also important because why are you having that open door policy? Is it because you want to be seen as that leader? Is it because you genuinely want to be there for people. Mm-hmm. I see so many leaders wanting to implement certain things, but their intention is to check a box, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yes. Yes. I think you're bringing up such an interesting, um, again, like yes to the nuance, right? It's, it's a both end. I, I like, and I'm sure this is the same for you. I can't like tell you how trying to think if I've had like a single coaching engagement ever where I haven't like gotten into the nitty gritty of like scheduling and time management with my clients. I actually don't think I have a single coaching engagement where that hasn't come up in some capacity. Um, Because it, it is like time blocking what you're talking about. And also it's sort of like, again, the nuance between, or like the balancing point, you know, another way is to think of it between freedom and structure. I often talk with clients about the balancing point between empathy and boundaries, right? <laughs> like yeah. empathy is a, be- it's beautiful to have empathy for someone. Yeah. There's also these like shadow sides to empathy in ways that empathy is a little distorted, I think, in human interactions. I think where you it know, can enable in a sense. It can enable. And sometimes we do this kind of um we're the savior. Yeah, we do this pulling thing with people where we're like, tell me all your oh, problems yeah. mm-hmm. because I have a helper archetype in me. And actually, like I need to feel like I'm helping you or else I'm not okay. Right. So yeah. There's yeah. a lot. I mean, this is like branching into other <laughs> aspects. We're just going to have to schedule it maybe months out, but we've got to, we've got to come back to all of this. Yes. <laughs> um, so again, you know, there's shadow sides to all these things. There's shadow sides to all of the EI competencies too, which is like something that in my own writing of emotional intelligence, I've tried, it feels really important to me to cite these, you know, and I'll just name another one in case this resonates or is beneficial for anyone out there. But I think, you know, we often think of emotional self-management as like, keep your shit together, you know, a little bit, right. We're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. keep your shit together. If you're mad, don't show it, show up with a nice face. Right. And yeah. it's like, that is just fraught with opportunities for like emotional repression. There's also like a lot around the conversation around self-management, um, that again is like, what does good behavior look like and who defines that? Right. So, you know, and I would say in some ways there's like a very kind of, um, 
I was going to say like very kind of like white puritanical, like this is what it looks like to be a polite, good person. Right. That's like informed by like a very specific set of cultural values that might not look the same in every culture. Right. So Mm -hmm. even thinking about what does it look like to be emotionally balanced? um, What is the cost of that? Are we doing that in a way where we're still honoring our emotions and giving Mm -hmm. space to process them elsewhere? Are we doing that in a way that is actually um, quite harmful and, and quite detrimental? Wow. So I'm, I think I'm going to just like end on that note, because I think if we start something else, we're going to go for at least another 30 minutes mm-hmm. on that one topic. And <laughs> I say like we- that with so much love and excitement, not like I, I need to cut you off. Cause you'll go, I love, 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 love this. And I just want to keep talking, but I also want to be very mindful of mm-hmm. your time because you've allotted 15 minutes over our, our, you know, scheduled time. But Elizabeth, this, see, this is why I was so excited to have you on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to have you back. It may take six months to get back on your schedule. Cause I know you're a busy lady, mm-hmm. but, um, this was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Thank you I, so I much hope- for the opportunity. I hope that our listeners and your listeners find, um, uh, I'm like our listeners. Cause I feel very yeah. in this process with you, but I hope <laughs> Do you want to be a co-host <laughs> for a second podcast. <laughs> Actually, I was just thinking, I'm like, you know, emotional intelligence, open hours is like a good, is a good concept and just letting people drop in and yeah, just chatting through some of these things. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate talking to you always. And I really appreciate the opportunity and, um, yeah, I just, my greatest hope is that people get value out of the conversation. I, it's hard for me to think they wouldn't, Um, but thank you. It really Mm. has been an honor and a pleasure to have you. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Until next time, live and lead with an open heart and an open mind. Thanks for listening.